again this morning, sitting right over there. Yeah, now she's now she's embarrassed. Oh, <laughs> gotta clap. Last time she was disappointed. I didn't say they were here, and this time, coffee ain't kicked in yet, has it, Ashley? No, <laughs> honey, it's almost twelve o'clock. You better get over that. If it didn't happen already, it ain't gonna happen. You know, I've been kind of lax here lately um, in, in, in the, you know, some of the important things like getting a good joke. And uh, so I, uh, I have really worked hard this week um, to, uh, to get one. And, uh, and so, so here it is. Uh, there was a, a student who was in Bible college. And uh, some of the classes that you take when you're in Bible college, like I took three of them, they're called homiletics. There's hom one, two, and three. And homiletics is the, uh, is the uh, study of the preparation, uh, writing, and delivery of sermons. It's all about how to become a, you know, a, a, a speaker for the Lord through, the, through His Word and, his, and the sermons. And so he was in his homiletics class, and it was right at the very beginning, and it was the first sermon he turned in, and the professor came to him specifically, brought his sermon to him and said, I want you to redo something and come back tomorrow with it redone. And he said, okay, well, what is that? He said, your title is awful. He said, you need to redo that title uh, because it, it just doesn't really grab people. He says, with the title, you want them to see it on the sign, on the, the church sign. You want them to see it in the bulletin, on the internet, wherever you put it. You want people to see that and be drawn into it. You want them to be hanging on your every word from before you even start. You want people to be stirred up passionately because of the word that you're about to bring. And he said, okay, but how do I do that? He said, well, I can't exactly tell you how, but I'll tell you the kind of emotion that you should strike up within yourself when you're thinking about how to come up with a title. He said, imagine it's Sunday morning, and your title of your sermon is on the church sign, and there is a Greyhound bus of people coming by your church at the stoplight, and they stop there, and they see your sign, and they make the bus driver stop, get off the bus and come into the church building because that, that title of that sermon just so drawed them in that they saw on your sign. Imagine that. He said, okay. He went back that night, came back the next day, and handed him the sermon. And the professor said, I just want you to tell me. I want to hear it. I want to be thrilled over it. What was the title of your sermon? He said, it's God help you, there's a bomb on your bus. <laughs> that would really draw them in off the bus, wouldn't it? I thought that was hilarious. So anyway, now that you've had that, let's get into the really important matter here. Let's get into the study of God's Word. Let's pray and ask His blessing to be over it, shall we? Father, we come today um, out of humbleness and thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. We have nothing to gain because of what's already been gained for us through Jesus other than peace and satisfaction. There's no... There's no personal gain from, from Him that we can say to the world that I have done this because You have already done everything. Lord, we personally gain that peace and that forgiveness of sins. We thank You for that, Lord. And because of Him, we seek to, to show Him with our words, but most importantly with our lives. Just the change that He has brought to our souls. We thank you for your word that keeps drawing us in, that Lord keeps pulling us, beckoning to us, commanding, Lord, 
that we come to You over anything else in the world. Lord, we love Your Word. My first prayer, Lord, is though that it will always be important to us. It will always be a priority. That Lord, when it's not, that You will you'll make it one. Mother prayers that you, you make it a priority now. That we not just be hearers of the word, but that we be doers of the word that we receive today. We take what we have received and we send it out into the world for your name's sake, for your gospel's sake. For the sake of people who don't yet know you that are hanging in the balance, Lord of where their soul will spend eternity. And not just what lies beyond, but even the peace and comfort in Jesus that they can have now. Let us do our part by showing and sharing and bearing your name, speaking your word, so that more people can be saved before it's too late. That more people can have comfort and strength in their life. And their energy is just depleted. There can be peace that passes all understanding. For when we do not understand what's going on, we rest in the assurance that you do. That in your time, through your spirit, and your word, that you will show us how it is that we can follow you through even life's most difficult circumstances, but only if we come, only if we pray, only if we hear your word and live it out will this happen. So Lord, I pray that you will put in our hearts that it will happen. Encourage us to follow you every step of the way. Lord, because we want to, we want to walk toward Jesus. We trust him and give this time to you in his name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me please to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, we, read, we shall read through verse 21. It's also in your bulletin and on the screen for you this morning. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse... 17, reading through verse 21. It reads like this. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and the glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Uh, as you've noticed over the past couple times during this series, uh, I find that there is so much richness um, in the book of Philippians 
and in the truth that comes from its message, that when I submit my title and amount of text on Tuesday, by the end of the week when more sermon work has been done, it changes a little bit. And for your sake, that's a good thing because we've been here probably another 30 minutes. And so that's why the amount of text in your bulletin has is, is been shortened so we can focus on, on some great truths found in what we have read. And I have changed the title of the sermon uh, to Rejoicing in Our Salvation. Rejoicing in Our Salvation. I hope that you will find that title is very applicable as uh, we look at this passage together. Let me begin by telling you a story that one night I was, uh, I was at a Bible study at the last church that I was at, and I was speaking on the importance of maintaining our Christian witness, how it was the most important thing uh, that, that we, could, we could maintain and keep up in our life and walk with Jesus Christ, because we never know who is watching our lives or who is nearby, who is paying attention to us even from a distance. And a lady named Miss Mitchell called out and got my attention during that Bible study, and she says, I have something I'd like to tell you all, something that happened to me that I, I, I just need to share. So I said, go right on ahead. And Miss Mitchell said one time she was at a church service, and there was a little boy about five years old who was sitting a couple of pews in front of her, and he got to moving around a lot over-exaggerated movements, just, just really going at it for all it was worth, you know, it seemed like. And she was about to lean up and just make sure everything was okay, but when she was about to lean up, she caught a glimpse of a teenage boy who was sitting about a couple rows in front of the five-year-old. And she started looking at him, at the teenager, and noticed that the five-year-old was mirroring in his own way what the teenager was doing. They're all facing forward. Nobody can see really what's going on in full view except for Miss Mitchell. And what she noticed is that every time the teenage boy would scratch his head, the five-year-old boy would scratch his. Every time the teenager would cough, the five-year-old boy, he would cough. He'd cough really loud, over-exaggerated a little bit. And every time the, the teenager would kind of stoop over a little bit, in the pew, well, the five-year-old boy would stoop his head over in the pew as well. You know, I find that the convicting part of this story is from the front, from the very first row. The teenage boy didn't know that he was being imitated by somebody just behind him. Someone he couldn't see was imitating just about everything that he was doing. Today there are a lot of examples that little boys and girls can follow and a lot of examples that they do follow. But the question is, are all of them, are all of them good? Another important question is, is if the people who are being followed and imitated knew that they were being followed and imitated by little boys and girls, would they live and act differently? Though we cannot answer this question for the likes of them, we can answer this question and we must answer this question for ourselves. We can't control what anybody else does. We can't control anybody else's example, but we can control and should control ours. Listen to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 18 when he said, If anyone calls as one of these little ones, 
those who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. We might read this and think, well, I better not go around any little children. I'll be fine. <laughs> don't have to worry about my example if I, don't, if I don't go around them. But I want to tell you this morning that it's more than just the kids because Paul acknowledged for the Corinthian church that you don't just have to be physically young to be considered a babe. In fact, he told the Corinthian church lovingly, yet firmly, my friends, you are acting like the people of this world. That's why I could not speak to you as spiritual people. You are like babies as far as your faith in Christ is concerned. Pretty convicting, isn't it? They were following the example of the world, leaving them but babies in Christ. In the light of this reality, it is sort of sobering to me, really. And it's a little scary at times, too, when you think of all the people that are looking at you, watching you, that you know are watching you, but also the ones that you don't know or not aware of that are watching you. It, it, it's sobering to think not only is our witness and our example at stake, but, but what's even more at stake are the lives of those people who follow, follow quickly behind us. You know, it's, it's even upping the ante a little bit too, you know, from being just a, what you, you know, just a believer who is trying to serve God. But whenever we take on a, a leadership role in the church, we, we step up to another level of example and another level of accountability, especially elders and pastors in the church. Listen to these words. Remember, your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, Consider the outcome of their way and imitate their faith. We are told to imitate the faith of, of our leaders and have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they will watch over you, listen, as those who must give an account. Told to follow our leaders, but the leaders have to give an account of all that they do and the people that follow quickly behind them. Paul tells us that, that we should submit to the authority of our leaders, that we do this so that their work will, will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. We submit to them, yet that places us as leaders at an extremely high level of accountability. And it scares me to death sometimes. Because I know that I am human. Your elders know that they are human. Your Sunday school teachers know that, that they are human. Your ministry leaders know that they are human. And the devil knows that too. He knows that God is going to make an account of those who serve. No matter what it is. And although these verses that I've read are talking about those who serve most specifically in the leadership roles of the church, I need to tell you, though, that the ante is high for anyone who is a leader. Anyone. 
who is a leader. I believe these truths are universally, universally applicable to all areas of leadership in our lives. That being said, let me ask you a question. How well are you setting the example for Jesus Christ when you are leading in your workplace? How well are you setting the example of Jesus Christ when you're leading in your friend group? You're the one that they look to. You're the one who sort of holds things together. How well are we setting the example when we are leading in our family? As mothers and fathers and grandparents and great-grandparents, as aunts and, and uncles, how well are we leading? How well are we setting the example of Jesus Christ in these areas, you will be accountable to those people too. As, as, I, as will I. Church, Jesus Christ set the standard that we are to follow. And though He is no longer physically present in the flesh and blood that He adorned over 2,000 years ago, because of His self-sacrifice on the cross and His raising from the dead, he presented us with the gift of the Holy Spirit that is His presence in our life. And because His presence is in our life, we are called to be His presence in the world. We are called today to set the standard in place for Jesus Christ. But I don't just want to say set the standard and then just walk out of here. For one thing, it's just not time yet. You know, Gotta go the full 30 minutes. But I want to talk a little bit about what the standard looks like. I don't want to just say that we have to set the standard of leadership. We have to set the example for Jesus Christ. I want to look at the standard. What, what does the standard look like? Now, in your life, I, I, I cannot answer this question of what this standard specifically means for you and how you lead. And mostly I can't do that, and you can't do it for me, because the Bible tells us that each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I can't say exactly what your standard is going to have to look like. However, what I can do is encourage each and every one of us from God's Word how it is that we can ensure that the example we set in this world is one in which Christ would be pleased of. We seek to follow His example. and Set that example as the standard in our world, in our families. As we do that, one day He's going to look us face to face and He's going to tell us, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. Church, Verse 17 that we have read this morning of Philippians 3 says it all. Join together. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Church, this is a command. This is a command that stands on the authority of God given to His apostles. Church, this is not optional. This is something that we must do. Something that we must follow is join together in following the example that has been set by Paul and the apostles 
who followed Jesus Christ. Now, I need to stop and break the tension for just a moment, and I need to make a confession. Is that okay if I do that right now? I need to make a confession. Hopefully, this won't change your viewpoint of me. But I hate group work. I really do. I, I hated group work in school, and I hated it even worse in college. Now, people should say, well, you shouldn't hate anything. You know who you are. I still don't care what you say, and I hate group work. You know, you're not going to change my. You're not going to change my my viewpoint there. You know, and and the sad thing is, is some of you probably share my my intense feelings for group work, and I, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, would would anybody else maybe like to say why they might not like group work very much? There's really one reason why most of us just don't like it. Well, what's that? People in the group, exactly. It's because of people in the group that it's not necessarily it's not under my control, it's that it has to be under my control. There, there are people in this world that if they put you in a group and say that you're, you, know, you have to commit an equal percentage of the work to make this thing go well, that they take it on as their personal mission to defy the professor or the teacher. And, and say, no, I'm going to do the bare minimum and still get the good grade. Because everybody in the group gets the same grade. That's what upsets me sometimes, is I end up becoming the guy who has to hold everything together because that's just who I am. I'm not going to get a bad grade. I'm not going to let somebody else harm my grade and what I deserve. I'm going to do the work for everybody else. And if you don't like group work, it's probably because you're that everybody else. If you, if you are okay with group work, you are that everybody else. You are, you are the person that I don't like to work with very much. Because not only do I have to do my share, I've got to have to do yours too. You know? Leave that in ambiguity. We'll just, we'll just let that go. But, but see, you, you see how it could be frustrating? You, know, you see, not just in school, but in life too. Do you see how that's frustrating sometimes? When not only are you having to try to, to keep up with yourself, but now you're having to make up for everybody else. And sometimes you're having to make excuses. For other people, you're having to cover over what they did or, or didn't do. So that, that is a parable, a modern parable, I, I believe, for the Christian life. Paul said, commanded the Philippian church, and consequently us today who read these words, that we are to join together a command to join together in following His example as He followed Jesus Christ. Join together to follow Paul's example is a conscious decision to serve Christ. And as Paul so adequately displayed in his life and in his ministry, that we are to serve Christ faithfully in all the good times, but also serve Him faithfully in all the bad times that we are to serve Him faithfully through loss and in gain, in peace and in pain, and in utmost joy or even the deepest of sorrow. No matter what, we are to maintain Christ because that's the example that has been set for us. That's the example that we are supposed to, to follow. And this is why. This is why not only one of us or a few of us but all of us, all of us have to decide 
to join together, to not make excuses for each other and just say, mm, that's just how they are. Or they've been that way for years. Have you heard that in the church? You know, they've been kind of griping and complaining. Well, they've been that way for years. I don't see it changing now. Well, me neither. But, you know. You know, we make excuses for people sometimes not having the joy of the Lord in them. Well, they, they just, they're just an upset and angry person. They look like they was baptized in battery acid pickle juice, you know. They've been that way for years. That's not the example that we're supposed to follow. It's really, really hard sometimes when we're trying to serve Jesus faithfully and you hear people throw around the word hypocrite. You know, I don't want to come to church because of all those hypocrites there. My reply is we could always use one more. <laughs> because we all fail, as the Scriptures say, and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us does. But this is the defining difference. To make a commitment to follow the example set forth by the apostles who followed the example of who? Jesus Christ. Peter said, follow me. As I follow Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Church, even though they're not here anymore, God's word still stands and has sealed their words, made them authoritative, and we still have to follow them. Follow these words as they follow Jesus Christ. And this is why. For as I have told you before, and now I tell you again with tears, with deep sorrow, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is only set on earthly things. Church, these people, many of them that Paul's talking about, claim to be Christians and lived as enemies of the cross because they did not follow the example of Paul. Because they didn't follow Paul's example, they were not following Jesus. Church, we need to stand together so that less ground can be gained by these people. I'm not trying to make us feel bad. I'm just making us aware of the fact that when we don't join together and commit to this, it hurts church it hurts even more the witness of Christ but you know what it hurts even more than that people's chances of seeing the real Jesus in real people who don't fake what they think it is to be a Christian but that they live as a Christian who struggles but yet strives and strains as Paul said in verses just before this for Jesus Christ Fixing our minds on things above, though we might stumble on things below. Pressing forward and not looking back. Church, anything less than this hurts the church. We're still going to sin and fall short of the glory of God. But we have to show people that there is grace. There was grace for us. There's grace for you. Now, I believe... Um, very little happens by chance. Very little to nothing um, happens by chance. This week while I was driving uh, back to uh, Newcastle or to Roanoke or wherever, you know, my family and friends live now <laughs> because my parents have moved, you know. And uh, 
they're trying to get away. They're just coming back periodically to make sure I'm fed, and they can tell that I'm doing a real good job with that, you know, and, uh, and, and that, you know, I, I'm, you know, I seem happy. That's important. No, but I was driving back, and on those long-distance drives, I like to listen to sermons. Um, and I, most of you all know I, I make that drive just about every weekend because um, I like being with friends and family. And, uh, you know, during those times, I like to listen to sermons and, and because it's this, I need to be fed. You know, as a preacher, I spend a lot of time preparing and writing, and I get preached to when I write sermons, but it's still good to, to hear somebody else, to seek somebody else's point of view, much like you were, you were doing this morning. And I, I want to say, as William did, I had this written down in my notes to talk about, is I, I try more and more to be intentional about those things, be intentional about listening to the Word of God preach, being intentional about setting time aside to pray, being intentional about reading the Word. And I'm so thankful for these elders, what he was talking about, and I'll share with you what's going on because I want to, is because we, we decided that we need to set the Word of God and prayer as a greater priority in our lives. And we are holding each other accountable by text message every day. Have you read and have you prayed? You let each other know when it's, when it's been done. And if it's getting late and it hasn't been done yet, remind them before the day is over. Let us do these things together. Because we want to lead because we're accountable. I was studying this sermon this week after our meeting. I thought, oh, Lord, thank God we did this. Because the Scriptures tell us we have to be accountable for the people that, that we're accountable for. And so part of that is, is, is listening uh, to sermons for me, hearing somebody else preach, and, and this, stuff's, this stuff's essential. It, again, it, it's not optional. If you want to be close with Jesus Christ, you've got to seek opportunities to be close to Him yourself. And so through that time that I have to set aside and I have to seek, because let me tell you, if I hadn't done my quiet time by the time I hit the door at 9 o'clock in this building, it don't get done that day. I have to get up early. And that's not a pat on my back. I'm tell, I struggle getting up early. The alarm clock went off far longer than it should this morning. You know, I struggle. But, but through those times, God speaks. These times should only be an additive to what we're doing during the week. And God providentially provided these words of Charles Swindoll that I think speak powerfully to this, to this passage. And he asked this question, or made this statement rather, what we think about God is the most important thing to us. What we think about God is the most important thing to us. He said that if we have a low and an accurate view of the Scriptures, our worship is shallow and skewed, and it's dissatisfying. Again, if we have a low or an accurate view of the Scriptures, our worship is shallow and skewed and dissatisfying. Now, on the other hand, if we have a high and true view of the Scriptures, our worship is meaningful, pure, satisfying and deep. Again, if we have a high and true view of the Scriptures, our worship is meaningful, pure, satisfying, and deep. If we choose to shape our lives, if we take the example of the culture, we will be those enemies of the cross ourselves. Those people whose destiny is their destruction and our lives will become complicated and chaotic. But if we choose to shape our lives and mold them after the Holy Scripture, God will emerge as real, personal, meaningful, and powerful day by day. Again, 
what we think about God is the most important thing to us. Church, how we view God, His holy scriptures, and the importance of living as those who have been redeemed, as those who have been made holy, and those who are sanctified, made right in the sight of God, will set for non-believers, new believers, it will set for our friends, our co-workers, our families, and bystanders, whoever are watching, it will set the proper example of Jesus Christ. It will show how we are forgiven and redeemed for our sins and how He can use even us. Even though we still struggle to show the world that God has made a change and He can make a change. Church, I, I plead with us all to desire this example because, again, it's not, as we see, it's, it's, good, it's good for us. It is good for us. Keeps our lives from being chaotic and, and confused. Keeps us from living in calamity when, when the God of this world sets order even in the midst of, of the confusion and chaos of our lives. The church, the world needs to see Jesus. People hang in the balance because of the conscious decision we make to display Him in this world. Church, whether we realize it or not, people are watching. They are looking to us to exemplify our faith as professed believers. So when they look at us, what will they see? Prayerfully, they will see a people who live in this world but they confess that they are not of this world. That they will see that we live in this world, but that we are not of this world. That, that we are those who are sanctified day by day. Again, sanctified means to be made right. They will see people who are being made, by, made right by God, little by little, that they're more like Him more and more every single day that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, it's done this. We didn't do it because that was too big a change we made in some of us, including myself, that we could not do it on our own. Been trying for years and couldn't do it. Only God could come and He could soften our hardened hearts. That We would live in this world, but not of it. And so that the sin that once so easily entangled us and ensnared us will do so no longer. May we reject sin and embrace Jesus Christ as we claim citizenship, not in this world, but in heaven. And may we eagerly await hunger, thirst for our Savior who is from heaven to return here to gather up every single one of His children. And in the meantime, until He does do that, while we wait for the day that He brings everything under His control, that He damns Satan, that He damns His demons, that He damns all sin to hell, the lowest part of it, that we won't have to worry with it no longer. Church, until that day comes... Until the day that we stand in heaven looking at a brand new body that looks much better than the ones that we have now. <laughs> Church, until that happens, as excited as it makes us, let us carry the anticipation in our hearts. Just like the anticipation that the Apostle John at the end of the Revelation 
declared, and I, I would ask that you declare it with him and with me today. Let's, let's say this together. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we hold these words that we have declared together until Jesus comes again. But until he does, may we hunger and thirst for you and your righteousness. May we rejoice in your salvation that you have brought to our souls, that made it now our salvation that we have, not just in clay pots, as your word tells us, but a salvation that's living and real and fills our very being. Lord, let us hang on to that. Father, so it might be a blessing to our soul that there might be peace, that you might be real in our life every day. Lord, that you might be personal, that you might be powerful, that your word and your promises to make it through these things that cause us trouble in this life, that they might be meaningful. Lord, that we won't walk away from your promises and, Lord, begin to question and doubt them because we haven't heard them for a while, but that we would be encouraged to set them in our hearts day by day. Lord, that your word might mean something to us. Lord, I pray for us all that you would stir a fire in our heart to be an example follows after you, Lord, so that somebody else who looks at us might know where they can find you as well. Not for our glory. Paul didn't do it for his glory. He did it for yours. So that when they just happen to look our way, they just might happen to catch a glimpse of you. Oh, Lord, may we be mistaken for Jesus more than once in our life. Because he's the one we seek to emulate. May the world be changed because we desired to lead by your example. And so whatever it takes, Lord, today to make that happen, may it be so. May you not delay in speaking to us today and may we not delay in responding to how you have convicted our hearts we take comfort in your word Lord that you are coming again but Lord we feel convicted to maintain you in our life until that day comes help us with that help our salvation to mean something to us we don't do it just because we feel like we have to to set an example for you. But we do it because it's the only choice for how good you've been to us. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Invitations open and it's there for anyone who will accept it. That... Um, if today you need to set a better example for Jesus Christ,
I don't know if you need to do that, but you do. And we've prayed, and God is probably already speaking to you. If that's what it is, tell the Lord you want to get serious and ask for His help to do it. Come to the altar and pray. Or go to the prayer room if you feel like you need to. Pray where you are, whatever it is. Just don't leave this place hearing God speak to you and just turning Him off because you've got to go to lunch. Or you've got other things on your mind. He is the most important thing in our lives. Because He determines the direction of the rest of our lives. Either His presence makes it better, or the lack thereof makes it worse. And it's up to us. Church, listen to God. If Jesus is not in your heart, I beg and plead, implore, I all but command you, because I can't do that, but His Spirit can, to come and give your heart and your life to Him today. Let Him wash over you with His wonderful salvation to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we might walk in newness of life. Begin letting Jesus speak to you about coming to Him today. Do it now. Seek Him. Tell us that you want to become serious with Jesus Christ and we will gladly tell you how. And if there's just a need, a burden, something physical, spiritual, emotional, something on your heart, maybe even something about somebody else you're concerned about. Give it to the Lord today. Let Him take it. Many prayers have been answered by people who prayed by someone who never opened their mouth. Offer that invitation together as we stand and we sing. Jesus, you. 